Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 85. Psalm 85. I'll get there eventually. Psalm 85. And in honor of the reading of God's word, it's my custom to ask you if you would stand. Would you do that if you possibly can? And let me begin reading in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Americans could say amen. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Think on those things. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God. God, give us repentance. You do the turning. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt not thou revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Thank you, and you may be seated. And pray with me, if you will. Pray for me. Heavenly Father, I need you. Lord, I need you in so many aspects tonight. Help me. I rejoiced in your blessings of this morning and the people who were saved and the altar that was crowded with people, the tears the confessions, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for my beloved friends, the Collins. And thank you, dear God, for where you have brought them from to where they are and where you have brought me and my sweet wife from to where we are. Thank you for the privilege to be here tonight at Harvest Baptist Church. Thank you for the privilege to meet the pastor. Lord, in the book of Revelation, you call him an angel. Thank you, dear God, for the angel that you have put here in this place. Bless him and bless his people. Thank you for this historic place that they serve you in. And help them, O oh God. Bless this congregation. I pray, O oh God, that you will accomplish what I've been looking for for a long, long time. 
Help us, O God. Be with our country. Be with Israel, dear Lord. God, I pray that you'll give them victory. I pray, dear God, that the hostages will be freed. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the enemy will be defeated. I pray, O oh God, for a great moving of the Lord across this world. Bless us now. What you have done before, do it again. In Jesus' name I ask it. And for his sake, amen. Habakkuk says, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. The Bible says much about revival. I am convinced that the great need is revival. I have had the joy of being there in a few revivals, home revivals, church revivals, even a couple of small town revivals. We need revival. Sad to say we're living in an age that is so cold to the things of God Many people could not tell somebody else what a revival is because since they have been saved, they have never experienced a real revival. Now, the reason I say since they have been saved, I say that because salvation is in itself a revival. It is when... The Spirit of Almighty God, God Himself, comes into our life. And as a matter of fact, when you got saved, that's what happened. God came into your life. Almighty God in all of His power. But do you know, it doesn't take long nowadays for a Christian to get cold. It doesn't take long for a Christian to begin taking God for granted. And maybe after the years, somebody might forget those first days or those first hours before they began taking God for granted. And when they got away from God, they forgot that. And they can't even remember what a real revival was. May I suggest to you that America is here today. America to this point is a solvent but very needy, needy country because of revivals. In the early days of the 1700s, just a short distance from Berlin to the east, there is a town, a village. It's called Herrenhut, Germany. In Saxony, the old Saxony, Germany. And there was a small chapel there, and it was under the leadership of a Moravian 
dignitary, not dignitary, that's not the word, uh, a, 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 a Moravian young man. His name was Zinzendorf. And Count Zinzendorf was a godly young man. And he wanted to see something done in his chapel. He prayed and prayed and challenged the people. And at one particular service, he, he remonstrated with them and told them to uh, uh, be united, quit arguing, quit fussing among each other. Not that I'm saying that because that's a problem here. I don't know, and I shouldn't even think that as so. But he asked his people, get along with each other. And he challenged them. He said, we want our chapel open day and night so people can come and pray. And they prayed, God, let this Moravian chapel be open for a hundred years. And it was. It was open for a hundred years. But revival broke out in that chapel. And it, and it crossed over Germany, that part of Germany, and throughout Germany. And then there were a couple of people who were touched. They were called the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley. And uh, John Wesley began preaching and he was kicked out of all of his Anglican churches and he went to the fields. And Wesley said that his preaching schedule was that he preached five times every day. And he started at the entrance to the coal mines and he preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those miners and uh, in the fields and had thousands that stood before him in the fields as he lifted up his voice and preached to the multitudes. Revival came to England. It didn't come to France. France had a bloody, bloody revolution. But it crossed the waters into America. There was a man named Whitfield, and Whitfield came to America. And the second great awakening eventually came. And then the great prayer revival. And America has been saved several times. Could I say this? I will without you giving me your approval or not. The Republican Party is not going to save America. Democrats are dead sure not going to do it. They're not. You can't murder babies and have the blessings of God on you. The only thing that's going to save America is God. A revival. I don't know whether there'll ever be a nationwide revival again. My wife and I were traveling through Indiana. On the way to a meeting, we stopped at a big boy off the interstate. And when we sat down, I got to looking around the walls, and there were interesting pictures, interesting to me. And I got up, and I began looking at them, even looking over some of the booths where people were sitting. And they were portraits, old-timey portraits, of great, great tent revivals. 
And they were the meetings of Billy Sunday as he crossed America looking for revival. I've been doing it now for 60 years. I've been looking for a church just like this church. The church in Herrenhut, Germany wasn't a big church, but a great revival came out of that church. A revival that saved America in its infancy came from that church to England, from England to America. And America was saved in the early days where it looked like America was not going to become a nation. We need revival again. Lord, Habakkuk said, revive thy work in the midst of the years. I see that God has done three marvelous things that we could call work. The family, the church, and the nation. We may never see another nationwide revival. I hope we do. I pray that we do. I earnestly pray that we do. I seriously mean it. When I have been looking and looking and looking, I told Brother Collins, I said, should I be with you Tonight, this is the message that I was going to preach. I preach this message because I'm looking for revival. It's our only hope. It's our only hope. Yes, we've got to have revival. It's not some kind of extravagance. Oh, no, it's an absolute necessity. Now, let me tell you this. You can have a personal revival. You can leave here tonight with your joy returned. You can leave here tonight with your love for the Lord rekindled like it was when you first got saved. You can do that tonight. You can leave here tonight with a joy in your heart to read the Word of God on a daily basis. You can leave here tonight saying, Oh, Lord, Thank you for the time that I have to pray. And I have found out that the greatest thing about prayer is not getting my prayers answered. The greatest thing about prayer is my fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spending time with Him. I'm just here to say you can have a revival. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let me tell you something. You can take your part of it back home. Maybe your home needs a revival. I had a lady, and she may be here tonight, I don't know. I had a lady, uh, as she walked out of church today, she said, pray for my husband. He needs to get back with God. What we, what, here's another way of saying it. If he was ever with God, what he needs is a revival. Maybe your kids need a revival. I don't know about this church. I, I believe it's a good church. I, I, I believe that you've got a wonderful, wonderful pastor. But, but answer this question yourself. From your perspective, does the church need revival? Do you need to get the fire of God back in your church? Revive thy work. In the midst of the years, God said.
Now I can say this without any fear of rebuttal. America needs a revival. And may I tell you this, revivals do not begin in the great football stadiums. Revivals do not begin in the great amphitheaters. Revivals begin in small groups. Revival begins. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, God's people, that's where it begins. Uh, our problem today is not the liquor de dealer. Our problem today is not the abortion clinic. Our problem today is not the porn dealer. Our problem today is church members, Christians, who have grown cold. That's where the problem is. God says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, humble themselves. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you a humble person? I ask, am I? Do you know what humility is? An old man in my church, he was older than I was. An old man in my church, um, he was stubborn. I'm not. I'm, I'm almost perfect. <laughs> but but uh, he was a good man. A good man. And have you ever known anyone, I'm sure the preacher knows it, but have you ever known one of your church members that was describing somebody else to you, but you could read through it and you knew he was talking about you? And that was this guy. And he said to me, he said, Brother Lancaster, do you know Brother so-and-so right down the highway? I said, I sure do. And I liked the guy. I knew him. He knew me. And he said, he sure is a humble man. Now, he was talking to me that, you know, he, he really meant me, that I needed to be more humble. And now, I know what got under his skin is that I preached without fear or favor that book. And I didn't let anybody, and I still don't let anybody, tell me what to preach on or how to preach it. Uh, I ask people to pray for me. I love people. Sometimes people say I'm a whole lot different uh, out of the pulpit than I am in the pulpit. But God has given me the mandate to preach the Word of God, and I preach it the way I believe God wants me to preach. But he said, he said, this guy is real humble. And I didn't tell him, but I thought to myself, I said, I know him, and he's not humble. What he is is he's got bad posture. And this is the way he walks. 
And my friend thought that that was humility. Humility is not bad posture. Humility is strict obedience to the will of God. Doing what God tells you to do. And when you and I decide we're going to do it our way, that's when we become proud. When we are too proud to do it God's way. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. That's, that's absolute necessity if we're going to see America revived. And I'm not being smart, Alec, but I will tell you this. I'm not talking about your lay me down to sleep prayers. I'm not talking about your dear God bless my food prayers. I'm talking about seasons of prayer. We've almost forgotten oh, all night prayer meetings. We've almost for, uh, uh, the midweek service has turned into, you know, whatever. And when we do pray, we pray for almost nothing except people's physical needs instead of the spiritual cancer that is absolutely ruining our country. Do we pray? Do you pray for your children? Do you pray for your husband? Do you pray for your lost daddy? Do you pray for your lost mama? Do you pray? I'm, I'm asking, do you pray? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If I had a child up here right now, I would, I would try to demonstrate it. What does it mean to seek God's face? All of you parents know. Johnny, I want you to clean your bedroom up. I'll be back in a few minutes. Johnny, the bedroom's not cleaned up. And then here's the next thing that you would do. You would put your hands on his face and you would say, look at me. Pay attention to me. That's what God is saying. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Are we paying attention to God? Are we paying attention to the Lord? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn. Curtis Hudson was preaching a citywide meeting in Dallas, Texas. And one night the altar was filled. He came from the platform and there was a lady that motioned to him. And he went to her and they knelt at the altar that was built there for them, for the meeting. And she told Dr. Hudson about her need for prayer and wanting to get closer to God. 
As I heard the story told, Dr. Hudson smelled liquor on her breath as they knelt there in prayer. And so Dr. Hudson began praying for her, and then in his prayer he said, Dear Lord, this woman is drinking. And the woman tapped Dr. Hudson and said, Don't tell him that. <laughs> God knows everything about us. God knows it all. You and I may be very, very good at looking the way we think we ought to look in an independent Baptist church. But God knows everything. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, 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 ooh, I love that word, then. Then, God says, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, if you would like to have an in, uh, a, a uh, sample example of an individual that got revival, turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And of course, if you know your way around the Bible, you probably realize that this is the great penitent prayer of David. And I want you to forget the fact that David committed adultery and that David had Uriah murdered. I want you to forget that. Sin is sin, no matter what it is. Sin is sin. In Alabama, they have red dirt. In South Carolina, they have sandy dirt. In Mississippi, they have black dirt. But it's all dirt. Sin is all sin. It's all sin. And it will, it will clog up the works of your life and my life if we acknowledge sin, if we hold on to it, if we don't deal with it. Look, if you will, please, at Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, and look, please, if you will, at verse 1. David said in this great pinnacle psalm, have mercy on me. Have you cried out to God? Have you ever said, search me, O God? Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Have mercy. Look at, look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly or thoroughly. Lancaster, listen up to what you're about to say. I will. When is the last time you've wanted a thorough cleaning from the Lord? Thorough. 
where everything got right. I led a couple to the Lord in Memphis, Tennessee. He became a deacon in our church there. His wife was one of the most precious ladies that I have known. And one Sunday morning, when I gave the invitation, she left her seat weeping uncontrollably. She came to the altar. I made my way in front of where she was. And I said, Kay, you don't have to tell me, but anything that I can do to be a help, let me know. And through her sobs and her wrenching, whoo, 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 preacher, I, I, I've got to get it right with God. I've got to get it right with God, and, and I want to talk to you, but I've got to get it right with God. She sobbed and got up and sat on the front row. When the service was over, I went to her again, and her sobs and her wailings went into a whimper. And then she finally regained her composure, and she said, Preacher, I have gotten it right with God, but I need to be accountable, Preacher. Now, by this time, my mind is running wild. Has she cheated on her husband? Have she and her husband gotten hooked on drugs? What is bringing this woman that I have known as a sweet Christian woman, what is bringing her to this state where she is sobbing like she is? And I said, Kay, you don't have to talk. Oh, oh no, oh no, preacher, I need to tell you. I was ready for the blow. And she said in a last gasp, Preacher, I haven't read my Bible in five days. I thought the same thing you're just thinking. But I caught myself. And I said, oh. Would to God that I would get in such a place and so close to, the God, to God where something like that would bring me such torment. The average Christian has to get drunk before they get under conviction. Or they have to have something terrible to them. Does it bother you that you don't pray like you should? Does it bother you that you're not in God's Word? Does it bother you that you uh, uh, take some kind of solace that you read the one verse in our daily bread rather than study to show thyself approved unto God? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Wash me Truly, and I will, I will skip some of the things that if I had two or three hours to preach, I would. But go, if you will, please, uh, to verse t 10. Create in me a clean heart. 
You remember when God cleans you up with his blood? I, I, didn't know, I didn't know all of the terminology. I had just gotten out of jail. I got saved in May of 1963, and I had gotten out of jail in, in uh, November of 1962. Public drunkenness, disorderly conduct, assault and battery, and resisting arrest. I hadn't been to church a handful of times in my life. My father was a drunkard. My mother was a drunkard. She had been beaten up by her boyfriend and committed suicide that night. And I became a wild man. That was me. But when I got saved on that May 15th evening, in spite of what I had been, the sensation that I got up from our couch where my head was bowed and I was holding hands with my sweetheart wife, the sensation that came over me was something's lifted. I'm clean. I'm clean. I went back to the base the next day at Courthouse Bay, for anybody that might know where that is. But I went back to the base, and the old gunnery sergeant, he said, Lancaster, that joke that you told me yesterday, that was the funniest thing. It was a dirty joke. And he said, Lancaster, I want you to come in here and tell the lieutenant that. Tell the lieutenant that joke. I told him, I said, I can't do it anymore. He said, I'll get you started if you've forgotten it. I said, no, that's not it. I said, I got saved last night. I became a Christian. Boy, I was clean. I was clean. A few weeks later, my wife and I went to Memphis to visit her family and my family, my granddaddy and grandmother. My grandfather used to think that it was cute to have me cuss in front of his friends and people that he worked with at Mack Truck Company, and I could cuss even as a kid. And I drank beer. My, my granddaddy and I drank beer together. But I told him, I said, Granddaddy, I said, I got saved the other night. And we were working on my car, and I'd only been saved for just four or five weeks. And the wrench slipped off of the spark plug, and my wrist went against the hot manifold. And when it did, it came out. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I looked at my grandfather like I was looking into the face of death. And I said, Granddaddy, I didn't mean to do that. I threw that wrench down. I threw the rag down. I uh, went into their house. I went into the bathroom and used the commode as an altar. And I told God, I said, God, I didn't think I'd ever do anything like that again. You know what I needed? I needed a fresh cleaning. And I asked God, I said, God, will you forgive me? And I went out to my grandfather, and I said to my granddaddy, I said, Granddaddy, I really am a Christian. 
I know you probably will never believe me, but I really am a Christian. It took about seven years. And one day my granddaddy walked through the doors, sat on the back row, and when I finished preaching, I gave an invitation. I don't know whether anybody else came. They did. But my grandfather came. And one of the altar workers got my granddaddy. And I snapped my fingers at him. And I said, leave him alone. He's mine. And I took my granddaddy and led my granddaddy to Jesus. And my granddaddy became a great, great witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me go back to my point. Have you had a thorough washing? Sometimes you get dirty again. And I'll say something about that in just a moment. But look further, if you will, in uh, verse 10, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Right spirit. Do you see it? Nod your head if you see it. Right spirit. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the next verse. You say, Brother Lancaster, what do you think the right spirit is? I know what the right spirit is. It's little s. And you know what the right spirit is? It's the right attitude. How's your attitude? You may not uh, have to clean up your liquor drinking, but do you have to clean up your attitude? And, and once again, I'm not here to, I, I'm here looking for revival. That's all. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to do anything like that. Just let me ask you this. How is your attitude? Ask your wife. She'll tell you. She's been longing for it. Are you man enough to take it? Ask your husband. He'll tell you. You want something better than that? Give your kids the permission to do it. They'll tell you. How's your attitude? You're going to have to get it right if you're going to have revival. If you are going to be a part of America's solution, if you are going to be a part of the revival of this church, if you are going to be a part of the healing of your home, you're going to have to get your attitude right. And if your attitude is not right, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how much your bottom is embedded in the seat that you're sitting on and you say, that's my place. I don't care anything about that. You're part of the problem instead of part of the solution if your attitude's not right. And oh, how we need revival in America. God, give me a right spirit. Now, the next verse says, don't remove your Holy Spirit. We know that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes within us never to leave us. 
But Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, listen to this now, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of this discourse talking about relationships, the Lord says, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. It's an analogy. It's a comparison. And I have known some drunks. I was a drunk. My father was a mild-mannered man. And if you were to walk up behind my father and say, Jack, boo, my, my father would have jumped. But when my dad got a few drinks in him, he'd fight anybody and did. In other words, what he drank changed him. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled, controlled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that God will make you a better man? God will make you a better woman. God will make you the husband that he wants you to be. God will make you the wife that he wants you to be. God will make us the father, the, the mother. God will make you kids, the kid that he wants you to be. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you controlled? I, I preached, uh, let's see, probably my second or third sermon at my first church in South Carolina. My wife was on the piano. And uh, no, she was on the organ and uh, pianist. And uh, I, uh, there were two men in my church that had already surrendered to preach. And I was ignorant, dumb, dumb, dumb. And here was my philosophy. Here are two men in my church and they've surrendered to preach. They need to hear about the filling of the Spirit. Because preachers and evangelists and missionaries need to be filled with the Spirit. And I don't care if everybody else goes to sleep. But if those two men will stay awake, I'm going to preach to them and to me. And I did, to the best of my ability. And when I gave the invitation, the altar was filled. And I said to myself, I've said something that I don't remember saying with all of these people coming to the altar. And I started on this end. And I said, yes, why did you come? Preacher, I need to get filled with the Spirit. Another and another. And I came to old Mr. Bernice Yarbrough. Bernice Yarbrough. I ignorantly called him Bernice until somebody stopped me. Bernice Yarbrough. And uh, I, I said, Mr. Yarbrough, why did you come? And that old leather-faced, leather-hand man looked up at me, and in his, in his wrinkles, water was running down like water in a creek. And he said this to me, Preacher, farmers need to be filled with the Spirit too, don't they? And I said, yes, yes. I met my wife at the end of the altar. And my sweet darling wife, I said to her, to her I said, Dottie, why'd you come, honey? 
And she looked up at me and she said, Tommy, our children need a spirit-filled mother and you need a spirit-filled wife. I want to be filled with the spirit. Are you? And I filled with the spirit. You know what I've learned about him? He's very, very sensitive. And he is against pride. And I dare say if any of us were to say, yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit, it would probably be a lie or it would stop right there. You can't always know that you are filled with the Spirit. It takes situations that you have to face. But I will tell you this. You'll dead sure know it when you're not filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Look at verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Free spirit. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, you say, what is the free spirit? I, uh, down south, I don't know whether you do it up here in Connecticut or not, but we got some churches down south that are whew, wild. Dottie and I were in Kentucky, and, uh, and I was sitting, Dottie and I were sitting about the second row back, beautiful, beautiful church about this size, and, uh, uh, and it was also appointed about the same way, row on each side and so on and so forth. And man, I mean, they got happy. And it was, it was shouting, and, and I like shouting. And it was hand-raising, and I like that. I like praising the Lord. And, and, uh, and two ladies up on the front row, and they were dressed impeccably, impeccably dressed. Uh, I mean, frilly, frilly uh, uh, sleeves right down to here and up to here, you know, and long. And, and just, just beautiful, beautiful. And one of them, and, and I'll, I'll have to do it to demonstrate it to you properly, but one of them stepped out and, woo! And around that altar she went, I mean around that auditorium. I mean, she was lapping the auditorium a couple of three times. And about that time, that lady next to her that was sitting next to her, she caught it. Woo! And then there she started around the other way. And, uh, and, but I want to tell you something. That's not the free spirit. That's excitement. And if it's done right, it can be worship. I mean, people really can holler and, and shout. The Bible says a lot about shouting, and uh, that, that can be worship. But, be, but you know what the free spirit is? Woo! The free spirit is doing what you ought to do because you love God and not because somebody beat you over the head with the King James Bible. Now, I love the King James Bible, and I love the Word of God, and I spend time in it every day of my life. But I'm going to go to church on Wednesday night because I love God, not because somebody has proven it to me. I'm going to tithe next Sunday because I love God. I love God. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus because I love God. I'm going to open up my big mouth and tell people how I got saved because I love Jesus. That's the free spirit. When you do what you ought to do, 
because you love him. And then the Bible speaks about a broken spirit. I'm glad my spirit has been broken. I was a drunk, been in jail, not much I haven't done, but I've never been back to the hog pen that God saved me out of. But I must be honest with you. There has been a time when I served the Lord in my own strength. My attitude wasn't right. I managed to hide it from people who, you know, were looking to me. But I knew I wasn't right in this. I knew it. And God broke me. He broke me. I was in a motel one night. And I went out to get me a bite to eat. And when I came back from getting a bite to eat, I was walking through the parking lot of that motel and a lady, didn't know her, as we say down south, didn't know her from Adam's house cat, didn't know her, had no idea who she was, still don't today. And as I was shuffling across that parking lot, here's what her words were. Mister, you look like you got the weight of the world on you. She actually said that to me. Mister, you look like you've got the weight of the world on you. I said, as I shuffled by, lady, you don't have any idea. And man, I mean to tell you, I was miserable. God's hand was heavy on me. And I got in the room and I knelt to pray. But my prayers didn't get any further than the ceiling of that motel room. I finally cried myself to sleep. God woke me up earlier, uh, later in the morning. And God said, you ready to do business with me? And I said, yes. And God put his finger on that thing in my heart. It's called sin. He put that, his finger on, and he said, you ready to get that right? I said, yes. Yes, I'm ready to get it right. And I did. You know, you know what my dear Lord did? He pointed out another one. And then another one. When the sun rose that morning, The sun was rising again. My heart, revive us again, the psalmist said. Revive us again. Bear with me just a few more minutes. You may be surprised, but I'm not near as long as I usually am. But... Um, Bear with me for just a few minutes. I was preaching a meeting in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I'd been there before, wonderful, wonderful pastor. Auditorium about like this. And uh, it was filled. 
the church had worked and got people. We had prayed for revival. On that first service, Sunday through Friday, on that first service, the altar was filled. The pastor and I had already talked about the invitation, and uh, he had some personal workers lined up on this side and personal workers lined up on that side, and he was going to attend to this side, and I would attend to this side. And if I needed a personal worker, I would just motion, and the personal worker would come. And a couple came, nice-looking couple. And I asked them from the other side of the altar rail, and that's what it was, it was an altar rail. I asked the man, I said, are you saved? He said, yes, I am. And I did what I have done to some of Brother Collins' folks this morning. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm sure. God's dealing with us, he said. I asked her, I said, are you saved? She said, yes. I said, are you certain of that? She said, yes, preacher. God's dealing with us. God's dealing with us. We prayed right there. I told him, I said, you don't have to tell me anything. If I can be a help, I will. But you just talk to the Lord and tell him what it is. Ask him to forgive you. They said they would, and they did. After the service was over, I met them in the aisle. They met me. They said again, they said, Preacher, pray for us. God's dealing with us. And right there in the aisle, I wrapped my hand around each of them, my arms, and I prayed for them. We finished the conversation by him saying, we've got family here in Fort Smith, and none of them are saved. Pray for my family. And I did. We came back to the services that night, and lo and behold, when I gave the invitation, there they are again at the altar. Preacher, pray for us. God's dealing with us. Pray for us. And I did. He told me, he said, you and the pastor and his family are going to eat with us tomorrow. We're looking forward to it. Went to their house. Beautiful table set linen tablecloth, fine china, the nicest silverware, wonderful food. And when, he get it, when they get it all set, he stands to pray. And then he says, Brother Taylor, my wife and I have got something we've got to do. Y'all go ahead and eat. If we're not back when you're finished, we'll see you tonight in the services. I'd never had anything like that happen to me. And I am a nosy preacher. And I eventually found out what happened. It took me a few days. But while we were down there eating that wonderful meal, they had gone to the upstairs bedroom. And they were on their knees, crying out to God. God, he, God save my brother. Save my sister-in-law. Oh, God, save my nephew, save my niece. Back to the services again. There they are. <laughs> uh, 
pray for us, preacher. God's dealing with us. The next day, preacher and I went visiting again. We went to a beautiful area of the town, pulled up at a house, and he said, these folks have some family in our church, and they have attended a time or two, but they're not saved. That was all he said, all he said. Rung the doorbell, the lady came to the door. Hey, Brother Taylor, so good to see you. We're here inviting you to come to church. We're having revival. This is Brother Tom Lancaster. Is your husband home? Yes, he's here. Step in, let me call him. George, come out. Brother Taylor and the evangelist are here. And so George stepped out. I'm a big kidder. And he was a big old guy, big guy. I took him by his hand and his forearm and twisted it a little bit. And I said, George, good to meet you. We're out here twisting arms to see if we can get anybody to come to church. He said, oh, you don't have to do that. He said, we'll be there tonight. But they weren't. I talked to him a little bit about the Lord, and he got testy of me talking to him. When I came to church, I looked for him. They weren't there. The next day, the preacher and I went out visiting again. And we went to a shabby area of town, a little duplex. The screen was off the door, litter in the front yard. A teenage girl came to the door. Hey, Brother Taylor, so good to see you. This is Brother Lancaster. He's preaching for us. Brother Taylor had already asked me to talk to the young girl, 18 19 years old, baby in her arms, no husband. I went in and began talking to her, getting ready to share with her the plan of salvation. Two of her friends came in, girlfriends, messed it all up. She said, I'll be there tonight, and she was. She was sitting the third row back. She did not take the baby to the nursery. She kept the baby. When I began the invitation, I said, is there anybody here tonight that needs to get saved? Raise your hand and let me pray for you. Among others, she raised her hand. And then I prayed and I said, let's stand and sing. And I offered the people the opportunity to come and either as a Christian get right with the Lord or as a lost person get saved. She didn't come. She didn't move a muscle. I told the preacher about that after service. I said, preacher, you know that girl we visited earlier today? She was there tonight. He said, yes, I spoke to her. I said she raised her hand, but she didn't come. He said, Preacher, let me tell you about that girl. He said, you know, George, the guy that we visited in that beautiful home, that's her father. And that girl got pregnant, not married. And her father kicked her out of the house. He has never seen the baby and will not permit his wife to see the baby. 
I told the preacher, I said, preacher, please, let's go visit that home again tomorrow. Now, I'll tell you, I was angry. I have a daughter. I have a wonderful daughter. And I love her. And I have oftentimes in my dealings with people as a pastor for about 25 years and then pastoring a military church for over 20 years, I've often thought, what would I do in such a situation as that if my daughter got pregnant? I wouldn't kick her out of the house. I would love her. And I went back to that house again. And the lady came to the door and she said, uh, we said to her, I said to her, I said, you told us you were coming and you didn't come. She said, he wouldn't come. I said, let me talk to him. She said, he saw you drive up in the driveway and get out of the car and he's back in the bedroom and he's not coming out. I thought to myself, coward. And uh, she said, he's not coming out. And I said, let me in. And he let us in. She let us in. She went back to the bedroom again and she came out and she said, he won't come out. I said, George, I'm not leaving. You can call the police if you want to. But I'm not leaving until you come out and talk to me. He came out. And I did something that my wife told me never to do again. I told her about it. She said, Tommy, please don't ever do again. I poked him. I didn't punch him. I poked him. George, you're a liar. George, you're a dishonest man. George, you didn't tell the truth. You knew you weren't coming to church. I did not tell him what I'd already heard about his relationship with his daughter. I did not bother. I didn't tell him that I knew that his son had just gotten out of drug rehab. I didn't tell him that the preacher, who should not have, but the preacher did, told me that the rumor was is that George was running around on his wife. I didn't tell him any of those things. I just said, George, you're a liar. George, you're not a truthful man. He finally stopped and he said, Preacher, we're good people. Our children have just gotten in with the wrong crowd. He didn't bother telling me the things that I already knew. And I told him, I said, George, if you get your life right with God, it's no telling what God would do with you. Back to church. Here's the girl, third row back. She's holding the baby. The couple <laughs> that I have not revealed yet who they are, the couple, the man is George's brother and sister-in-law. And on the back row is George. And his wife is sitting there next to him. Psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually beaten down. And down at the end of the aisle is a young kid sitting more on his backbone than he is his behind. 
But there was also somebody else in that room that night. And that was the spirit of Almighty God. And when I gave the invitation that night, that old heathen-looking boy stepped out. And when he got to about right there, he began to scream out, I need to get saved! I need to get saved! And he came to the altar and fell in the altar. The preacher got him and began talking to him. About that time, here comes Mama. And Mama leaves from the back row where she was sitting with George. And she came and knelt beside that boy. And she said, Preacher, I need to get saved too. And after a minute or so, this girl left. And she handed the baby to the lady in front of her and went and pushed her mother aside and her brother aside. And she knelt between the two of them and told Brother Taylor, Brother Taylor, I need to get saved too. We continued the invitation. They were all led to the Lord. The girl came back and stopped for just a moment. I saw it all from the pulpit. She stopped just a minute, but then she went straight to her father. I did not hear what was said, but I saw it. That old boy held on to that pulpit, I mean that pew. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. That girl did something of the Lord. She left her daddy. She came back and got the baby. And she went back to her daddy. Stood there for just an instant. And handed the baby to her daddy. He began to shake like a bowl of jelly. And he and the daughter and the baby came forward. And all of them got saved. The whole family. The Bible says that if you and I will get our lives right with God, then sinners will be converted. If you and I get right with God, don't you listen to this mess that tries to tell you that it's hard to get people saved. That's not the reason that our independent Baptist churches are not seeing people saved like we used to. The reason is, is that people are not living it and being filled with the Spirit. And people are not telling it. They are not telling others the gospel. I close with this invitation. Do you need... Revival. Do you need to be saved? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.